welcome to another in our podcast series. This is a co-production of the Dolby Institute and the Soundworks Collection. I'm Glenn Kaiser. I'm the director of the Dolby Institute. And this is one of our On the Road to the Oscars podcast. Uh, we're, we're shining a spotlight on the movies that have been nominated for Best Sound Editing. And I'm thrilled to be here uh, with Mark Mangini and David White, who are nominated this year for Mad Max Fury Road. So thank you for coming in and, and talking with us. Yeah! V8, V8, So, so in, uh, in, in just in full disclosure, <laughs> we're catching these guys right after we're at the Beverly Hilton Hotel in Beverly Hills. These guys have just come from the nominees lunch, which is uh, people tell it, me it's the most fun part of the process. It is right? mind blowingly fun. And David, so this is your fun. first. This is your first nomination, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. I was saying before, it's it's like being married because everyone around you is going, "Yeah!" It is a wedding. It's like going to a great everyone wedding. Everyone is happy with for famous you. people. Of the wedding with famous <laughs> and, people, and they're all at a wedding too. Right. right. You know? so and everybody's happy for you. And then we're well, all because everybody going to make love because <laughs> because well because everybody's a winner now, yeah. right? Today, right. Yeah. today, yeah, right? Today. And in three, it's like in three weeks or so, it'll be another story. That 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 room at the uh, Dolby Theater is can be. You know, there's a lot of angst in that room. It can be a brutal thing, are, are right? Opened. I, well, I and you say, and Mark, you know, this is your my this fourth, is your nomination, fourth nomination, right? And th- this is, sounds so disingenuous, but I'll say it anyways. But that mm-hmm. moment as the, the opening of the envelope gets closer is the most anxiety-ridden. There, I, Honestly, there have been moments when I felt like, I don't want to be me right now. <laughs> and of course I want to be me. I've just been nominated. I'm out of my mind. Yeah. But it's hard. It's like, is it going to be me? What if it isn't? Am I going to be able to handle the disappointment? What if I win? What if... Right? Yeah, well, ready? I mean, I already feel like that, you know, I mean, just the fact that we're nominated against Revenant and the Martian. It's a tough Wars. year this year. Oh, my oh, God. Thank year you. Year Thank year. you for rubbing it in. Right? Come on. They're, they're amazing soundtracks. Yeah, um, extraordinary. I don't want to say what my favorite is out of them, but there are four really great soundtracks there. So and one um, exceptional one, and, and we are going to. We, well, we I might. I can't even tee them up with this guy. <laughs> Would you listen to me, please? Yeah, I'm trying to answer your question, actually. All right, thanks. And uh, you know, so when those envelopes are getting opened, yeah, you're right. It's probably going to be the most anxiety-filled yeah. moment of my life. But I've got to just remind myself that we're already winners. The fact. Oh that my we're God! Are you kidding? I mean, it's an old, just old to be story. There. That thing, but. I mean, it's just extraordinary to be in that company. I mean, these yeah. are people that I admire deeply right. doing soundtracks, and they're great soundtracks. So, what a privilege! Yeah, it's an honor. Okay, but, so I'm just going to. I'm just going to be awesome when we win it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to sit here and observe. You guys, kind of, you you've got a kind of a married couple vibe going. You know, you guys, you guys, well, you guys have soundies, clearly. Right? <laughs> you, you must know. It seems what like we you guys go through. It seems like you guys have uh, worked together for a long time, but this is the first the first movie that you've done together, right? It is, but the, you know, because you've been in this business a long time. The hell and the torture yes, that we put yes, each other through in the yes. course of one film. Yeah. Some couples, you know, that is, some couples do that over the course of a lifetime. We yeah. get all that, 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 uh, it all gets compacted, compact, get compacted into, Short well, and especially period. with a, with a film like this, right? So David, how did you, how did you get involved with the, with the movie? Uh, I got uh, called up by George early on. The, the person he normally uses to do films was busy on another film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd just done a film uh, called The Railway Man, where there was a whole lot of uh, psychological themes going on in the character, which George had heard about. He hadn't seen the film. Uh, but that's why he rang me, because he knew that I'd sort of just tried to tell a story like that with sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so he offered it to me, and 
I didn't know whether to say yes. <laughs> so was that, now in retrospect, <laughs> glad I said yes. To it. Was the, was that before the movie was shot, or at what point in the process? Uh, no, they shot. They shot the film. They still hadn't shot the opening and the closing of the film. All of the I stuff see. around the Citadel. Right. But they'd shot all the footage for the the main bulk of the film. For the but, of the whole chase sequence yeah, across the desert. And yeah. they'd edited, you know, most of the first spool. You know, the first, say, 16 minutes was mm-hmm. pretty tight. We say real in this country. Oh, okay, first real. Okay. You know, <laughs> minus the head, so there was no Citadel segment. Yeah. Uh, and the rest of the film, like, spooled real three. Uh, real two. I'll translate for you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was going to start talking in inches in any second. Um, it was all just sort of very much in the assembly stage. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a very big project. Something like 450 hours worth of footage. So the 56 terabytes of picture data, Margie, the editor, just told me. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, Mark, how did you get to, how did you get on board this movie? Uh, George rung me up to come to Sydney to work with David and just help him get his his idea of the sound of the movie on the screen. So you guys went to you guys started in, in Sydney. He started in Sydney, and then I got brought in to join the crew mm-hmm. and just continue to work to like make it a big tentpole soundtrack. But you guys yeah. mixed the picture here at Warner Brothers. We mixed and... both. We started yeah. in Sydney. Uh, and uh, and then moved it to L.A. and ended up at Warner Brothers, Dub 10. Right. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it went through so many iterations, this film. So I had my gear, my studio set up over at Kennedy Miller in, where George has his editing room sure. and all that. And I was set up there for about 12 months. And did, you were on this movie for 12 months? I was on it for 14 months. Wow. But during that time, I mixed the whole film six times. And then we, <laughs> then we went out to stage one. It gets better. A, which, I know. And it's it's such a big movie. And it, did this it's, this is you can actually say bigger than Ben Hur with this film, right? In yeah. terms of the yeah. soundtrack, this, it was yeah. just so ginormous. We yeah. needed Mark, absolutely needed him. Thankfully, he came along, as well as uh, Greg and, and Chris. Chris Jenkins and Greg Rudloff were our real. You guys had like you had an A team working oh, on this. Look, we we had the movie. best of everything, and not only do we have the best of everything in terms of personnel, but we had the support of George in the studio to pretty much let us do what we wanted to do. And while it might be dangerous to say this, we final mixed for 75 days. That is amazing. That's unheard of. But you can see the result in the soundtrack. The detail, the clarity, the dynamics are all there because we spent so much time. And that that included, by the way, the the Atmos Printmaster and, and other formats but what that was not well, so mix. let me ask you this i mean how as, as the process went because oftentimes as you know you spend a lot of time during the, the mix and especially the final mix just chasing picture that's been constantly updated right. new visual effects and stuff coming in I he mean, bore the brunt of that yeah. yeah i mean that's probably the, the least enjoyable part of it because it's a distraction from anything that's actually advancing the soundtrack sure at all. So if you can imagine trying to do a, a temp mix of a film that big, you know, two systems and then they make changes and you've got to reconform all of that stuff and then fix up all those bits and then there yeah. are new visual effects you've got to add to those. So you're not really just, oh, here's a crash, I'm just going to work on this crash today. Yeah. Or I just want to do the chain for here today. You can't do that. You're constantly having to multitask and stuff. And so... Well, you're not being creative. You're just you're being, not really you're being, being a you're just keeping the, keeping the movie so in sync. It, yeah, it just Ugh. it slows the whole process down. And you know, thankfully, Mark came along, and that problem disappeared very quickly. Because we well, we got we, <laughs> what's your moved. secret, Mark? How did you make <laughs> that problem go away? Everybody's been asking me this. Well, actually. no, it's, I, I just finished that thought though, because you know, when we went out to stage one, we still had another tent mix to do. 
yeah. which was just, you know, stage one is in Sydney, uh-huh. uh, our biggest studio in, in Sydney. And uh, we had to do another temp mix and we're running out of time and how are we ever going to get this finished? Oh my God, can we get some more help please, somehow? And uh, Mark came along, along right. with Greg and yeah. Chris <clears throat> and it made it a whole lot easier. Sure. But uh, in spite of that, you know, we were, we were beyond capacity yeah. with Indeed. the film. And to, in talking to Mark last night, you know, it sounds like it reached full capacity at Warner Brothers here as well. I mean, it is just a very, very Well, it's large a big soundtrack. movie. It's yeah. a big, big we movie. We ended up at stage 10 at Warner Brothers on a two-tower, um, two uh, they're one of DFC. the big, a DFC, a, a twin... Uh, split desk, twin right. tower, and we still f- maxed it out. I think we were 2,048 inputs. It was it was crazy the amount of material we had. That is that is just amazing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I, so, by the way, I'm not bragging. That is, yeah. I'm not trying to no, lay no, that no. down yeah. as like bragging yeah. rights. There's no pride for me in like excess and like look at all the shit we cut and created. Yeah. Because in fact, we actually had the opposite process to achieve, which was to figure out a way to find focus and winnow that all Well, down. here's, yeah, I wanted to, that's actually a really good segue into what I wanted to ask you guys about. Because I, I really listened to the film again over the weekend because I knew that we were going to be talking. And, um, and I would certainly never call this a minimal track, but it's really focused. It's there's yeah. not a lot of stuff competing for your attention. It's very it's very specific. So I mean, all of the stuff to, to one side about how many tracks and the, the weeks and all that kind of stuff. But I, I I wanted to ask you guys conceptually, creatively, what was the biggest some of the bigger challenges for you on, on the film? Oh, certainly <laughs> certainly my biggest one uh, was the the Max Headspace stuff. Which is you know the story about what's going on in his head. You know he looks pretty odd. Yeah, as he's moving around. So you're talking about these those sort of micro flashbacks that would happen, or that's part of it. That's yeah, a, that's a part. But you know this whole you know the sequence where he comes out of the dirt and moves forward with the door and yeah. everything and looks sees pulls the, pulls the, the uh, IV. Time. You know there's a yeah. whole lot of whole lot of effects going on on foley effects and stuff like that. You know backwards delays and all sorts of things. Just to I mean they're only just there. Yeah, but they. He perceives things in a sort of hyper-real mode. Right. And it took ages to work out what it was that was going to sound natural, but just slightly. And that was a process you put on a lot of like realistic effects. That wasn't just like flashbacks. There sure. were real sounds that would have just been like Foley-like sounds oh, yeah. that you processed to give that what we call the, the headspace yeah. effect to, mm-hmm. so, to sort of mirror this sort of uh, unstable uh, mental state that he's in. Yeah, we had the... the Part that you can hear them the most is when he first gets into the cab and he's mm. collecting things. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you know, the file's got this doubly beat thing on it and triple delays and all sorts of stuff on on the things he touched. So the audience probably wouldn't really notice that. You don't want the audience to notice these things. You want them to just be in the story. Yeah. And at that part of the story, Max is pretty frenetic. So just those sort of sounds, I, I felt, just sort of supported yeah. his... Yeah, his, that's his mental stuff. Sound so, storytelling. Was yeah, that, yeah, yeah. But was that something, did you guys talk with George Miller, the director, about that? Or, oh, George, or, well, George. Just t- tell me a little bit about, about like, how, how was your collaboration process with, with George? Well, whilst I was with George over those long, long months, uh, I would say that George was the sound designer mm-hmm. because he has, <laughs> he has an eye for detail like no one I've ever met in my and life. And an ear for detail, I might yeah. add. We'll get to so that. So he's, he's extremely specific about what he wants, mm. you know, uh, and we'll repeat it to make sure that you know that he really does want that <laughs> <laughs> to be the yeah. sound. 
very, yeah. very clear. In a very lovely and, way, oh, let's yeah. be clear. And we would, we would, we'd have these meetings and we'd video them all, all of the sound briefs, and we'd just brief like 30 seconds of the film and we'd be talking for two hours about it. So he would, you would go to his space and you would sit down. And it's yeah, not really he'd either come and sit in my sort studio. Of what, what, you, I mean, you would call that the spotting session, yeah, right? That yeah, that sound brief is a different, just a different way right. of spotting yeah, session. Yeah, spot, spotting session. Yeah. So we do that either in my room or, or in Margie's room or in the common room there just with the television. I never asked, did you ever get the voice memos? Oh, that, me that's voice, voice memos. <laughs> George is, yeah. and I say this in a very loving way because when George would be in like his creative mode, like in that sort of beta state. The ideas are going to come whenever they're going to come. Yeah, they just come. And so he would never want to lose a good sure. idea. So if it was two in the morning after having left the mix... He'd he'd, get, he'd do a voice memo and then he'd send them to us. Yeah, and, and I, I have collection. We both have collections yeah. of these, right? And they are classic. You know, oh, they're can, beautiful. You can tell that he's thinking hard. He, yeah, I mean, yours is probably similar. But I pick up the phone. And he goes, yeah, Dave. Um, and he just start riffing on this chain of thought that he's on. Yeah, in such detail. It is truly train of thought. You know, yeah. and you're going, wow. What's fascinating because it's hard to talk about sound. Oh yeah, yeah. Right? yeah there's not a lot of language people. for it. But yeah. George has the yeah. language for sure. Yeah. yeah. Does he talk about? I mean, is he talking to you about it in emotional terms or musical terms? Or he did with how me. How does he? How does he communicate to you what he's what the, he's looking for? The, the big revelation with George on this film for me was that my sound briefs, our spotting sessions together, would be revolving around plot narrative. He right. was not a micromanager. He would never say, "I want to." So at this point, I, do I a sound skid here. here. I want right. you know. The, the self-evident stuff as well as maybe the non-self-evident stuff, but he really wanted to allow me to collaborate and contribute. So he would say, at this beat, um, this is what Furiosa is feeling. Mm -hmm. This is where the story is headed, even though this scene feels like we're taking a detour. This is what she wants to achieve. Mm. So he, he would talk in narrative terms, and then he'd ask, how does sound support that? Right. And then it was mm. really up to us to do something creative. We, we were allowed to have those same epiphanies yeah. on our own without mm. being micromanaged. And that's, that's really rare. Yeah, yeah, it's totally rare. And uh, It I takes mean, a director who's really secure. Yeah, he's very secure. <laughs> he knows what he wants. <laughs> right. Well, oh, he's yeah. a great filmmaker, right? Yeah. Oh, he's, he's, the, he's the bomb. Yeah, yeah. he is. You know, you, you mentioned um, focus and detail as you re-reviewed the movie. One of the things, one of the first things that George did with me when I arrived was he explained this concept of top of the pyramid. <laughs> and Wayne drew a whiteboard of it for me. And this was George's way of saying, I know that at any given moment, our, our movie is visually dense. Any frame of this movie is ridiculously dense visually. So how can we help the audience understand what to look at mm. with sound? And so he would always say, that's what I call the top of the pyramid. There's yeah. probably one sound, maybe two, that is our focus. And it was always right. our job during the mix to find that one sound that was telling that story beat for those 10 frames or 10 feet. Mm. And then there might be two supportive sounds just below it. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other 10,000 sounds that were right. also prepared that we had to make irrelevant until such time as we decided story focus is somewhere else. So or you needed you those might, elements. You might sneak a hint of something. Right. In. And there, yes, there'd be some <clears throat> there but was, one, one uh, things that, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to make a point on top of the pyramid because I've had to <laughs> suffer it for quite a long time. I know you did. Yeah. 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 Uh, George was said to me, you know, it's just top of the pyramid. Yeah, I went, okay, cool. Right, I'm uh, I said, so we're not talking just about, um, you know, car sounds, are we? We're talking about like every everything. Every sound. No, it's everything. Pyramid. He's going, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I said, it well, means and, dialogue and too. And he said, I, I, want, I want to be able to access those. Like, I want just, 
I want just three tracks with Top of the Pyramid sound. That I'm going <laughs> well, that's a bit naive. Uh, going, <laughs> oh, no. How do, how do we try and manage this this need of yeah. being able to easily get to them? Right. I mean, we know how to get to it because when you organise things, you can do that. But, right. But trying to find a balance between just yeah. how you would ordinarily go about um, laying something and, uh, and satisfying George's request of, you know, What's on the top of the pyramid track? Right. right. <laughs> well, <laughs> and this, this, you, you may that may be the answer to the to the question I wanted to pose to you guys, which was, um, you know, I, I think there's an old saying in our business: see a sound, hear a sound. Yeah, yeah. see a dog, hear a dog is the way I heard. Right. it. Right. Exactly. So, you know, that that you know literally means if there's something happening on the screen, you cover it with a sound. You know, you cover it off with a sound effect. Right. But one of the things that really popped at me again when I was looking at the film, and I think. I didn't notice it the first time I saw the film because I was in the film, which is great. But the second time, and I was really kind of focusing on the sound, there are all these there are all these really interesting moments in uh, in in the it's called the war uh, war rig is the the name of her truck. Right. So you'll be in the cab of the war rig. and I'm expecting that in a literal, I'm going to be hearing a lot of machinery going on. I'm hearing a lot of wind. I'm going to be like, like, you know, George. wheels on. But none of that's there. And they're having these really emotional, yeah. intense conversations. But uh, at, but the miking is really close. Right. And the, the, yep. the tone totally is really intimate. So I was really curious about how they came about because it's, that's, you know, obviously not a literal representation of what because would be it happening comes from in that what world. I was but just it's, talking about. it's emotional. George right? would, that, those scenes in real, uh, Spools 3 and 4, mm-hmm. uh, George would say, this is critical information for the audience. She's talking about the green space and her, yeah. her backstory. Mm. The truck sounds are completely irrelevant to that moment. And so much so that that's all ADR because he wanted the intimacy of ADR. Right. And the audience doesn't need to be reminded they're still in a truck. Right. Nobody needs to hear those things. Yeah. This is all about focus and top of the pyramid. Mm. The, the top of the pyramid there was dialogue and story. Yeah. Take out the truck. We got lots of quiet moments <clears throat> like that absolutely intentional and, and, and created. And you have to remember, quiet and silence is a choice. Mm-hmm. It's not an accident. Yeah. It's not that we were lazy. Sure. It's funny, so many people have said to me, gee, it's a loud film. There are actually a lot of sections of the film that are really quite Almost sparse. all of Spool 5 in the, the nighttime stuff with the yeah. Vuvalini, that's really, and in fact, no background sounds. Yeah. Almost dead quiet. What's uh Let's talk a little bit about ADR and the the production tracks. It was I mean, obviously th- th- that that must have been a tough shoot out there. What, uh, what, well, how, Osmo what, handled all the sound recording. Right, you know, quite a large team, and uh, yeah, under George under Wright, under brutal conditions. Oh, right, so Did the desert of Namibia, you know, boiling, blowing and freezing, stuff up, dust yeah. everywhere. I mean, every day there was a massive cleaning job for him and his crew to be doing, uh, and because it's real filming, you know, they'd have to get cars up to speed over you know eight kilometers and that then because of the radio frequency he's got to drive along as well so he's in a van going 80 <laughs> kilometers or you know so 60 miles yeah. an hour was any of that stuff usable for you guys oh well so i mean we're talking about ben osmo this guy is incredible yeah so, <laughs> and the osmotron have you have you read his article on the osmotron no. the truck that he built to do all the communications and the hundreds of channels of mics that are uh. on actors a crew that had to communicate with each other. You, you got to yeah. look up the Osmotron. That's awesome. it's extraordinary. But uh, so, I mean, not only did he mic everybody uh, and, and plant mics in the cab and all over the shop, you know, he put them in the back of the war rig tanker so that, you know, you could hear the tanker sliding around the back and, you know, one underneath. Sure. He, he, mic'd, he mic'd everything. 
Mm-hmm. You know? yeah, extraordinary so work. There, there were some scenes where we were able to retain the, uh, the sync sound. Um, you know, scenes where things were Probably noisy. less than most films. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, way less than most films, I think. Because <laughs> they're real vehicles. So anything filmed on a moving vehicle, it's ADR. Right. Sure, you yeah. Know? None of that <laughs> stuff is the sync sound. Right. But there are some scenes where there are little bits of sync sound used, such as the, those, those quiet scenes on, right. on Real Five, you know, yeah. where they're talking about the green space. And yeah. It's all ADR. Yeah, so, so see, that one's all ADR? Yeah. Not, what about the one um, before it's uh, night time? All, all ADR. All of it. All ADR. Well, Which is, is a testament to how great the ADR is. So I, but I, you said something that really, that I wanted to follow up on because, you know, I think a lot of filmmakers really hate looping. They hate yeah. the ADR stage. They yeah. hate the whole process. Yeah. They feel yeah. like it's not. Yeah. But and you rightfully. said, well, but you said something interesting, which was George saw ADR as an opportunity That's to an actually, opportunity to get, him. to get a more intimate performance. Yeah, he wanted the, inter- and George does something that I've never seen a director do. And that is he spends weeks months with his ADR team. And what he'll do is he'll record every character. He'll do 20, 30 takes with a character and never make a select take. You know, usually the, uh, on the set, the director will say, I-, I love that, takes four. Yeah. He won't do that on the ADR stage the way most directors do. He'll wait till he comes back into post. He'll sit with the ADR editor and he'll sometimes make literally like a ransom note out of those you know, hundreds and hundreds of takes mm-hmm. of any given actor to find, to cr- so fabricate. He'll, he'll craft a new yeah, take. Yeah, he'll craft the yeah. absolutely perfect performance, painstakingly. Interesting. The first, the first my first ADR day with George. Right? <laughs> so I've recorded this ADR and he's, he's come up to my room and he's just come out of visual effects or something and he says, play take one. So I play take one. Take two. Take two. So I played through 20 or 30 takes. And he said, okay, I want the first part from take seven, second part from take right. 13. That's where we were. And the last word from take 29. Yeah. Okay. He can keep oh. all that in his head. Yeah. You and, would and not so, believe it. And so, so I go, Across oh, okay. multiple characters. <laughs> yeah, do that. And I play it. And he goes, was that take 13 from the middle part? Of <laughs> oh, sorry, George. He got me. You were kidding. No. He's extraordinary. He's yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> He's such a focused man. <laughs> well, because I read, I read about him. He actually got his start in film editing. So I think that's part of no. like... He got, you know, where he got his start as a doctor, as a GP. Well, before, yeah, exactly, exactly. And before I might he add, into, into film. My second. So he's detail oriented. Uh, did he have to do some treatment on you? Did you? Did I? No, I don't. I thought you were with me. Can I tell a story? <laughs> yeah. Of course, again. Second week, we're, we're working twenty four seven, and they're catering meals every day. And by the second week, I was a little tired of lamb. And we walked. This is in Sydney? This or is in Sydney. Uh-huh. I'm in, in, in Sydney. And I thought you were with me. It must have been somebody else. We walked by the caterer who was setting out lunch. And my, whoever I was walking with said, what's for lunch today? And I said, that's probably the lamb. And the caterer also popped up her head. Oh, no. The next day, I got food poisoning. So I had to, <laughs> we are on a deadline like you cannot believe. So I had to go to George. I'm literally holding my belly. I said, George... I, and I didn't know he's a doctor. I, I said, I am, I gotta go. And he said, hang on a second. And he did one of the, like a movie moment. He swept everything off the, the, the lunch table, the communal lunch table. He said, lie down. And he pulls my shirt off. Like did an this. exam right there. He started there. squeezing my innards and he gave me a prescription and he told me what to do. And he said, come back in two days. Good luck. I hope you feel better. How he many can, directors he can still, like, he can still pull your shirt off and wiggle around with your guts? <laughs> 
That's George Miller. That's that's a great story. So what was your question? I'm I sorry. don't even remember. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to sidetrack. I'm well, I mean, we got to look. We, we, I mean, obviously, we have to talk about cars, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, how, you know, there it's, it's obviously a post-apocalyptic thing, but there are recognizable sort of elements from cars in the production design. How, how did you guys go about building this? I'm sure, I, pres- well, I, I presume it was a big library. I'd like to say a couple of things about the cars. Or, or actually... Uh, George wanted this film, it's all found objects, you know, so civilizations essentially come to an end to a degree, hasn't it? And so everything that's there, there's no power stations and all that, so it's just things that they can cobble together and make work. One of those things is a, a combustion engine. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So they had to be combustion engines. They couldn't be anything other than a combustion right. engine. And George wanted it to be entirely believable, like plausible, what was going on. And an example of that is, you know, when the war rigs on fire and the, the doohickey goes down and the, and the sand comes, comes up, up and right. Okay. Uh, we were watching that scene and Rick Lyle, who's one of the uh, sound editors, was, was there. And uh, George goes, uh, so does it, is that believable? And Rick just sort of went, nah, no, nah, that wouldn't happen because, <laughs> the you know, the dirt's going to come up and go into the manifold and, you know. Stall out the engine you know, or whatever. And yeah. it's not going to work. And George goes, oh, no, 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 we've got a shot. We've got a shot of the things closing on the map. Manifold's we can do opening. Next yeah. day, that's cut in. So the dirt, you know, yeah. as the dirt comes up, yeah. cut to that shot, it shuts, yeah. come out, they open up again. Yeah. Plausible. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So it had to be, you know, it really had to be really real. Um, so that was, in, in one way, I found in the early days, anyway, I don't know how it travelled, uh, but uh, in the early days, I found it actually quite restrictive. Because, you know, I see something fast and I lay mm. like a Formula One engine underneath it or a jet or, you know, something to make right. it a Something bit, literally fast. Yeah, right, just yeah. something that we identify as fast. You put mm-hmm. those things in there, even low level, and the audience reads them as, oh, this is something fast. You know, so I felt a little bit hamstrung around that. But the great thing about the vehicles, as this is the last general thing I'll say before, before you, Mark, <laughs> is that all of the vehicles are characters as well. They right. all have names. That was a, that was a principle of ours is that they should be as distinct as Furiosa and Max. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a whole, yeah. you know, printed out thing of the names of the cars. Mm. Right. Yeah, things. they all have names. That's right. Like like characters. Yeah, yeah. All of them have got names. Even the people the, eater. The, 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 the pole cars. Yeah, the po- the yeah. fire cats. The right. buzzards. You know. Yeah. The rock riders. You know, the, everything has a name. And has and a, a bit of a backstory to it. Fortunately yeah. or unfortunately. You know, so like the buzzards. They're r- rattly things with sharp do yeah. all over. That's how they look, and that's how you wanted them to sound. You know, um, I'm, bla- I'm doing all the blabbing. But they went so a right. long way beyond uh, where we started, a long way beyond, because we'd started with source sounds that Ben had recorded. And uh, uh, Oliver with, as well. And Oliver, that's right. Machin, uh, Machin, I don't know how to Mashin, pronounce it. I actually haven't met him, so. <laughs> uh, but he was a, an entirely separate second unit sound effects guy. Hmm. During production, while Oliver was trying to capture sync sound, Whenever they could free up a vehicle, Oliver and his team of sound effects recordists mm. were off in another part of the desert capturing yeah. all of those vehicles, doing these multi-channel uh, recordings. Yeah, That's amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Who spends that kind of money and right. time for yeah. sound in production? No yeah. one but yeah. George Miller. Yeah. yeah. Now, we, cont- we tried to follow that, that, that idea to its sort of logical conclusion by the time we get to, and I discussed this with Michael some time ago, by the time we get to the big chase in Spool 6 and 7, or all of Spool 6, really, 
Um, I started to see that as Moby Dick. I mean, it's it, you know the visual references are there, the harpoons, and sure, the, 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 the harpoon, the, the tank at the yeah, at the, at the, the war obsessed rig. Uh-huh. Uh, captain who is a Morton Joe. He's Ahab. Yeah, yeah, And so yeah. we started to blend in whale sounds to try to affect that that uh, that analogy. And the animal sounds bring a they they bring a life to yeah, it. Bring anthropomorphize. Right. Uh, you know, it brings it to, brings the war rig to life. We thought that was, and then the the the, the closing sequence. As, you know, arguably a scene that should have been a, like a big crash and boom and explosion moment when Nux, you know, whips the the warrig into a ninety degree turn to block the pass. Right. You know, that might have been an opportunity for us to do our biggest crashes and explosions. But I saw it as a very poetic, almost operatic moment. So I, I pitched to George the idea that that should be the death song of the warrig, the death of the mm-hmm. of the great white whale. So that really is only populated by slowed down animals, de- dying animal sounds. Hmm. Well, they're not actually dying. We didn't kill any animals. No quick, animals quick were harmed. Quick to say, quick to say. Right. Um, but you used animal vocalization. Yeah, but we used animal to, to anthropomorphize that word to make it feel like the beast is dying. And we kind of eschewed the, the, the metal crashes and all those kinds of things that one might normally use. That to me, I, that, that's the fun part of sound design, is using non-literal elements yeah. to get a sort of a deeper emotional truth, Yeah, right? Yeah, and you've got, I mean, you've got to be crafty with that sort of stuff because you don't want the audience to go, oh, listen to the whale. Yeah, you know, yeah, So there's course. still got to be some sort of, whether there's a metal sound or an engine sound or whatever's in there, just for the, the audience's perspective still has to be that it's part of the movie, you know. Not but you know, you did something brilliant. Dave, my favorite sound mo- moment in the movie is when Max is coming up out of the sand right after yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the storm sequence. And there's all that beautiful, detailed stuff as he rises out of the sand. But then I loved that you externalized the IV sound. Yeah. Like, you would never hear that, mm-hmm. but you hear the... And then mm-hmm. this great sound as he pulls the plug. Yeah. You don't hear that, but it tells the audience his connection, his obsession with his use as a blood bag, is yeah. just a, a donor. That was Poor the, that, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. He has a pretty rough trot, did not he? <laughs> he gets, yeah, he's, it's a brutal movie for him. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit about the music for the film. And how did, did you guys interact with the, with the with the music team at all? Or what? I don't know your your side of it with Tom. I had I spent a great deal of time mm. with Tom actually. Well, you go you go first. Okay. Well, I, I was obviously involved with Tom during the te- all the tent mixes, uh, and Bob Badami. Yeah. Um, who's, the music editor. Yeah, the music Bob Badami is the the music editor, and the, the composer was Tom uh, Hulkenborg, aka Junkie XL. Junkie XL. Right. <laughs> and it was it was great that he was. I mean, again. Who brings on a composer like fifteen months prior yeah, to the yeah. end of the film? Yeah, you know. So well, part of that's baked into the script because obviously so, you've got a character who's playing music oh, as yeah. part of the cars. But that was a very de minimis portion of it. Tom was writing major themes and and mm-hmm. suites and huge sections of the movie, even as Margie was constructing them. Yeah, that's right. So for all those temps, you know, Tom would deliver or, or Bob would deliver more music, mix all that stuff in, which was fantastic for George in the process. Because he was able to, you know, go. This is working. That's uh, Tom. Can we change this and stuff? And they had a terrific relationship, the two of them, in terms of communication of what what George's was after and what Tom was able to produce. It was quite beautiful to watch, really. Um, but uh, yeah, Tom was. The music for the film is. A, it's like a. It's a separate entity, like an opera, almost. Yeah, it is. 
you know, it, it drives the movie mm-hmm. not just to give us some impetus, but like it's a whole character arc in itself. Mm. You know, the way it speaks to Max's character in particular. Um, so, you know, it was a, from my perspective as an editor and a mixer, it was a phenomenal uh, relationship that I had with the music well, department. And it's so Up rare that you have all that material to work with as well. Normally when you're yeah, cutting we, sound we effects, you have no idea. We have the real score to work against so we can be very detailed with our mixes knowing they're going to survive. Yeah. Right. Now, one of the great successes I had, and maybe this is because it's part of the fact that I came in later, um, I hit it off with Tom right off the bat. I don't know if it's because I'm a musician he and I just hit it off. We went to coffee every single day of the mix. He mm. and I would just meet for a for a flat white uh, <laughs> in and around Sydney, and we would talk about the movie. And we developed a really close relationship, so close that we got to the point where we were really talking as collaborators about the way the soundtrack, our shared soundtrack, should sound. And we f- started finding those successes, those top of the pyramid moments, interdisciplinarily. Yeah. Tom would be, started to get very forthcoming with me and say, you know what, Mark, George is really pushing that cue in the, in the, in the chase in Real Six. I, I really want to pull it back here. What, what do you got? Do you think that's something, you know, your, your department can sure. sort of take over with? And we started having those discussions on a very mm-hmm. regular basis. And I'm sure you know from all of these kinds of interviews, it's a very common kind of, you know, there's a, there's a rub there between the composer and the sound department. And it, there doesn't need to be. Sometimes right. all there needs to be is common understanding. Mm-hmm. And that's what Tom and I developed. And we would go to the mix every day with sort of a menu of things for George and say, hey, how about we just take out all of the war rig there? Mm-hmm. What, if, what if we take out... The, the string section, but we keep the pads. Mm-hmm. You know, and we yeah. would have those very detailed, focused discussions every day. And that's part of how I think we found that great, um, those great dynamics in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. Because we had a relationship and we had the time to do it. Yeah. And it was beautifully prepared. I mean, the way that Tom actually came to the, the no, mixing board. That's because the he's, I mean, he, there's nobody else could, like him. You could access anything and mm. do any changes that whatever George wanted to do or Mark wanted to do. Everything was possible. We, we one of my other favorite moments in it, and this is the kind of cooperation we had as Max, after Max has ripped the door off, he's in the desert and he's heading towards the war rig for the first time. And he's chained to the door yeah, yep, and to yep, Nux. Yep, and right. yeah, so we hear this banging and we cut to a close up of Furiosa banging on the mm-hmm, filter. Mm-hmm. And um, that segues beautifully into the taiko drums that Tom had in the score. Mm. That was an epiphany in the mix. That was not written. That was not scripted. That was something that I heard in the mix. And I said to Bob Badamy, I love the drums, but you're about 20 seconds late for me. We could have this really cool transition because she's going bang, 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 boom, boom, boom. And we go into taiko drums. And it made this just beautiful transition. So Bob just said, yeah, I'll just I'll copy those tycos. We'll move them up. What what you know? What tempo were you at? Oh, we're at a one thirty-seven. Yeah. Great done. Where's your mod? Great. And we also we had this really lovely nice. transition. Nice. That's that kind mm. of cooperation is yeah. really wonderful. Was this a was this a native Atmos mix? Were you guys? It was not. It started in Sydney um, in a studio that did not have Atmos. Mm-hmm. So we were wedded to the five one mix. Well, if if I can even go back, I'd, maybe you don't even know this. So when I set up my studio to start off with, I thought, this is going to be an Atmos job, so I'm going to do right. everything in 7.1. Mm-hmm. Right? So I actually set up my small room uh, in 7.1. I didn't know that. And I went, 
oh, this is going to get really hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Wayne went, oh, no, don't. Just just get, no, 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 don't do it. So then it became 5-1 and yeah. it stayed 5-1. It did. Until... Um, till you left until yeah and it stayed until, 5 1 and it stayed 5 1 through Warner Brothers 11 and 12 um, and the set the Atmos and the 7 1 were up mixes interesting that's just we just didn't have time we just yeah. every minute of mixing was spent with George working on the sure, content concepts yeah do concepts you, do you um do you do you cut any differently uh, if you know you're going to be working in Atmos? Um, I do in, organizationally. I don't mm-hmm. really cut any differently because I prepare pretty immersively. I have a lot of material that I know can go in all those sidewall and rear wall channels and overhead channels. Mm-hmm. If it's not going to be in Atmos, there's other places we can put it. But it, it, I cut differently in that I will create separate sets of object tracks sure. because I have to keep those isolated. Yeah, That's oh, the God. difference. Yeah. Great. Well, I that's uh, that's all the questions I had. Are you happy, Michael? That's good. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, any any I, last if thoughts? Can, if I can just say something, I, I'm just really grateful to Mark and to Greg and to Chris for just pulling it together. And because I think it's just a kick-ass soundtrack, I love it. I think it sounds great. And the thing that um, you know, I really love is that it's got dynamics. Mm-hmm. It, it breathes. You can hear all the dialogue. You can when it wants to be loud, it's bloody loud. But it's yeah. not ear shatteringly loud. It's not ear shatteringly loud. It just it just really works. You know, we haven't really given Greg Rudloff and Chris Jenkins many props in this because it, we're only half of this. Mm-hmm. But those guys spent seventy five days in Final Mix, mm. and it's 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 as much their mixes and soundtrack as it of is course, ours. Yeah. We could not have gotten this movie wouldn't sound like this without of those guys. Not. I mean, this is the thing that, uh, that, that, that that's amazing, right? So. When you get another character, another person coming onto a film soundtrack, uh, particularly in the mix department, they had, they had their, their whole set of ideas and their style and all that sort of stuff and things that you wouldn't expect, you suddenly hear them and go, geez, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were both and, loaded with and, great and ideas. And the soundtrack is filled with their great yeah. ideas. So, yeah, my hat's off to those two. They really pulled a great mix. Well, it sounds like it was a great experience. It, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I realised that something strange happened on that mix that I'd never experienced. Um, Having studied acting a little bit, I've learned about this notion of being in the moment Mm -hmm. where you're like, you're so the character that the rest of the world disappears. We ended up with something like that on our final mix stage where literally we were all collected there and we were like one brain, one mind with one purpose. We were so connected, we were so clear on what we wanted to achieve. We were finishing each other's sentences and it was like the, before the words come out, it'd be like, oh, yeah, great idea, man. I've never experienced that, that in my that life. That happens on about the day 70 of the final day. So you, finally, you finally break through that point. Yeah. Well, this has been a super fun conversation. I really thank you guys great. for coming in. Uh, Mark you. Mangini, David White, nominated for an Academy Award for Best Sound Editing on Mad Max Fury Road. Good luck to you at the thank Oscars. You, Thanks for talking to us today. Thank yeah. you so much. V8. 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 <laughs>